invite you to stand as you're able this morning for the reading of God's word. These words come from the mouth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. These words uh, are preceded by a really difficult teaching of Jesus. One of the more difficult passages of Jesus where he calls woe over two cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And this is his response after that difficult, heavy word that he has. I want to invite you to take a deep breath. I want you to be reminded that as we read and hear God's word today, that these are the most important words that you will hear today. Anything you hear that follows this is completely secondary to what God has for us through his words, especially when we're hearing the voice of Jesus. So hear God's word from Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. Let me pray as I begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd like to tell you about my first paid ministry internship. Uh, I was in college. It was at a large Baptist church uh, in the Twin Cities. Uh, uh, the youth pastor, who I had known for several years, hired me to organize small grouping for their high school students. It was a youth group of about 250 kids. So he called and he said, hey, can you start today? Uh, sure. Can you come to youth group tonight? Sure. So I showed up. There were already uh, 50 to 75 high schoolers already there. Um, about a half hour early, my boss said, hey, I need you to play bongos for worship tonight. I said, okay, sure. Here's the thing. I don't play bongos at all. Um, I mean, I know, how to I know how to hit a bongo. I've never played them in front of anybody. It's not an instrument that I play. Maybe it's the people pleaser in me, continue to work through that throughout my life. Uh, or maybe I just wanted to portray myself as willing and, and ready in this new job to my boss. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll play bongos. I've got decent rhythm, but I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, the worship started, and I realized that I only knew one of the three songs. So here's the first night, new guy on the job is playing an instrument that he's never really played before. He's trying to follow along to songs that he doesn't know. Um, I hope they didn't notice. I doubt there are any, you know, uh, adults today who are like, remember that guy who had no idea how to play the bongos? Uh, I think my boss was pleased uh, that there was some sort of percussion, so it was fine. But when I think of that night, um, I get this emotion. I couldn't find an English word for it, but someone in the first service said, what you're feeling is imposter syndrome, Right? That emotion of being unprepared, of, of faking your way through something and hoping that you're not totally ruining it, 
and you know that emotion. I've had the same emotion uh, several times in my life when I enter certain church seasons, particularly the season of Lent. Maybe you felt that too. It's this scrambling, unprepared, unseasoned sense that I should be in a posture that feels foreign to me, that I'm playing around and I'm sort of winging it, basically. So I want to address that emotion today. I want to present you, and certainly me, uh, as a, with a gift this morning. Um, we, the way that our preaching series sort of worked out, we have this, this Sunday in between um, our last series and Lent. So we have this Sunday to ponder what Lent is before it begins. We're, what my goal today is to put you on an instrument that you actually know and give you time to learn the song so that you can not only enjoy the season ahead, but maybe even lead others in it as well. That's my goal this morning. Um, this Wednesday, as Simon said, we will gather for Ash Wednesday. Hope you can join us for that. That's the official start of the church season that we know as Lent. Um, some of you come from liturgical traditions, some of you don't. Um, we certainly do not adhere to, to every um, part of the Holy Ordinance calendar or feast days, those kinds of things, but we do follow the church calendar in this church, and this church has for a long time. These vestment colors will be different next week because we're following the season. Um, and the reason we do that is because followers of Christ have been doing this for 2,000 years, and it's good. Each season of the church calendar is designed to help us follow Jesus. That's what the, the, these seasons are for. And Lent is a crucially important season in the church calendar. Uh, here's what Lent is. Lent is the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter minus Sundays. Okay? And as we journey with Jesus in this season, we follow the life of Jesus, and we journey with him to Jerusalem, to the cross, and ultimately to the empty tomb. Uh, this Lenten season, we're excited that our, our teaching series is going to be focused on a character study of Simon Peter, the disciple. Um, we're going to be looking at various stories involving the disciple Peter and the ways in which he follows Jesus and fails to follow Jesus. If you know the story of Peter, it's a mixed bag, right? Which is a worthwhile study for us because guess what? Those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, we're a mixed bag too. Uh, we're a mixed bag too. Sometimes we follow him well, oftentimes uh, we fall short. And yet, we can still call ourselves followers of Jesus and be used by Jesus in amazing ways, just like Peter was. So we encourage you to join us every Sunday starting next week as we dive into the life of Peter. We also have some of Michael Card's book. It's called A Fragile Stone uh, out in the garden court. You might have seen those on the way in. This is a devotional guide for you through this Lenten season. So if you're looking for something to, to take home from for you and, and to read through, this is a great resource. We'll be following Carterius as we go through our series as well. Um, we, on, uh, we don't have a book study like planned for this, but it would be great to gather with other people and say, hey, let's read this together and, and talk about it and pray through it. Um, there's, those are available in the Garden Court now for a suggested donation. If we run out, we will purchase more, okay? So we've got a few days until Lent actually begins, and the question this morning is pretty simple. How are we to approach this Lenten season? What's the right approach for us? How do we prepare our hearts and our minds and our bodies for all that this season has in store for us? How do, we, how do we do our part to make sure that we're not just stumbling our way through Lent, but we're taking full advantage of all that God wants to do in our heart and in our lives and in our community in this season? So the way that I've structured things this morning is, is I have three things, three things that I want us to consider as we prepare for this season ahead. First is this. I want you to ask yourself how others would view the pace of your life. 
which probably means that you're too hurried. Um, I found myself pretty self-conscious in the last couple of years of my life uh, when someone asked me how things are going because before my brain can sort of catch it, my heart says, I'm, I'm, things are good, I'm busy, I'm busy. Anybody have that issue? I'm busy. And, and I am busy, that's true, um, but that's not really what I want to project to the people around me. It's not the first thing I want them to know about how I'm doing. Um, I've had several people say to me recently, you look tired. By the way, it takes a bold soul to tell somebody they look tired, um, but obviously that's something I'm projecting to the world, right? Uh, that's not what I want to project to the world. I don't want to project that I'm busy and I'm tired. But my guess is that about 90% of us here are too busy, and we're living life at an unhealthy pace. Probably reacting and then counter-reacting to a life and a world that's overwhelming to us. How many of you, case in point, have dozens if not hundreds of emails or texts that you still need to respond to? How many of you feel like you're falling behind in your work or your schoolwork or your responsibilities or your relationships? Maybe there's that friend where you're like, oh man, it's been like three months since I've connected with that friend. I, just, I care about them. I'm just so busy. How many of us tend to fill every available space in the day accomplishing something, whether it's work or gorging on content or social media, podcasts, or getting in that workout in the 45 minutes that you actually have free in the day? Doesn't it feel like the volume has just sort of been turned up in our lives? Anybody feel that? I do. We share this kind of modern life fatigue, mentally, physically, spiritually stretched, beyond our limits. We are over busy and we're under rested. And as the preeminent, very wise theologian Bilbo Baggins would say, we are thin, we're sort of stretched like butter scraped over too much bread. We know that this kind of pace is not good for us, but for most of us, we just don't know how to do life any other way. We are seduced and we're drawn in by the promises of achievement and satisfaction while our busyness slowly steals our peace and drains our battery. We wish that we could say to people when they say, how you doing? We wish we could say we're not busy, but we don't even know what that looks like. Most of us don't even know what that looks like. Pastor John Mark Comer writes, the modern world is a virtual conspiracy against the interior life. Hurry is a form of violence against the soul. But here's the invitation this morning. You don't have to live that way. It doesn't have to be that way for you and for me. You do not have to project a busy, hurried, occupied existence to the people around you. But that change is not going to happen magically. The change is going to come when we shift our mindset and we adopt practices that intentionally resist the violence that hurry does to our soul. Uh, one of my heroes, Frederick Buechner, has one of the best ways to talk about this, and he actually ties it into Lent. It's such a beautiful metaphor. Uh, Beekner says that he, he likens the season of Lent to tithing, to tithing. He says that in many cultures, there's an ancient custom of giving a tenth of each year's income for some holy use. We do that here. It's called a tithe. Well, Christians, when they observe the 40 days of Lent, are doing the same thing with roughly a tenth of your year's days. Isn't that interesting? And we do this because Jesus did this. In his first year of ministry, he could have 
gone right out of the gate and started some amazing miracles and deliverance, all the things that we know Jesus for, but that's not how he started in his first year of ministry. He gave a tenth of his year right at the onset of his ministry to God. He got baptized in the river by John, and then he went immediately into the wilderness where he spent 40 days fasting and praying. Beekner says that he spent those 40 days asking himself the question, what does it mean to be Jesus? What does it mean to be Jesus? And then he says, and listen to this, Christians are supposed to spend these 40 days asking in one way or another what it means to be myself. What does it mean to be you? If we want to unhurry, if we want to be healthier and more whole, if we want to turn down the volume and return to ourselves, we need to intentionally hand over the season to Jesus and say, this was good enough for you. You were okay with 40 days of hunger and thirst and no outside content and nothing to accomplish. So Jesus, here's my tithe. Here's my tithe of days. These 40 days are not about me gratifying myself. They are about a hunger and a thirst for you. How would others view the pace of your life? And how would it look different if you had an intentional season that was set aside to follow Jesus to hunger and thirst for him? Pete Cesaro, uh, one, of my, one of my other heroes, he has a challenge that I've actually been using with a couple of you. You may have heard this in, in my language. He says, of insteading, uh, instead of responding to that how are you doing question by saying you're busy, he says, if you're busy, change your words to say this, I'm aware that I'm limited. I'm aware that I'm limited. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Lent is a season specifically designed to graciously remind you that you are limited. And that's okay. That's okay. Second, I want to invite you to follow the rhythms of Jesus, which probably means ditch your phone. We'll get there in a second. Um, what were the rhythms of Jesus? What were his daily rhythms? I want to challenge you sometime in this Lenten season um, to pick up one of the synoptic gospels. That'd be Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Get in a cozy chair with coffee or tea and, and, and read that gospel in one sitting. In one sitting. And I want you to look out for one specific thing. What were Jesus' regular rhythms? If you were to pattern your emotional life and your time management around the person of Jesus, what does he actually model for you in the Gospels? And here's what I'm quite certain that you will find uh, as you look to this. Jesus had a holy rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, of being present to the work that God had given to him for that day, which basically always involved people, by the way. And he's obedient to that work, and he works super, super hard. And then he retreats to a solitary place to pray, to be with his emotions to be in the presence of God, his Father. You see this numerous times. In Mark 6, Jesus retreats to a quiet place to, a quiet place to pray after a busy day. In Matthew 14, we see him go to a solitary place so that he can grieve the loss of John the Baptist. In Luke 6, he spends a night in prayer because he knows he has to make a big decision in the morning, which is calling all his disciples to him. This is the rhythm of Jesus. Be about what God has for you each day, particularly the people that he's placed in front of you every day, and do it faithfully, and then retreat from that work and go and be with Jesus in a state of attentive prayer and rest. I am dismayed by how often I hear people say, 
Hey, the whole point of Christianity is just love people like Jesus. As long as you're loving people the way that Jesus loved, you're following Jesus. And I'm also dismayed by people who go, the heart of, of really being a follower of Jesus is to go in your room and have good devotional practices and, and, and let God feed your heart as if we could follow Jesus if we weren't doing both of those things. As if. Look at the life of Jesus. One fuels the other, which fuels the other. That's the way of Jesus. Work and labor and mission. And then prayer and rest and renewal. What does all this have to do with Lent? Well, in Lent, we are invited to journey with Jesus as he ministers in Galilee and in the region of the Gerasenes and Samaria and then ultimately Judea and Jerusalem. So as we follow Jesus, we get to pattern our lives after his holy rhythm. And since Lent is a season that we are to give over to Jesus like a tithe, point one, we also say, Jesus, would you reveal to me the ways in which I'm out of sync with this rhythm? Where I am consciously or unconsciously withholding from you. If you say, well, hey, you know, this is kind of new to me. I've never really seen my, my day-to-day work and family and out in the worldness as, as God's work for me, then guess what? I have an invitation for you. Give your work, your, day, your day-to-dayness over to God in this season of Lent. If you say, well, I'm not really intentionally retreating or resting. I just kind of work and work, and then I crash, and then I get up and I do it again. Then I have an invitation for you. Learn to rest attentively in Jesus in this Lenten season. Here's the common denominator, by the way, in both those responses. I bet your phone is the problem. I'm just guessing. Your phone is the problem. If you are unable to walk through your day with a sense of God's opportunity before you in every single set of eyes that you meet, then I'm guessing you're looking down at your phone too much. And if you can't find time to rest, to find a quiet place and enjoy the presence of Jesus, I got to ask, did you find time to scroll through social media today? Did you find time to put in earbuds for an hour-long podcast? Did you find 15 minutes to mindlessly numb out on some game that gets you gems or coins or something like that that's totally meaningless and doesn't mean anything? I bet you did. I bet you did. And you know what I did in preparation for this morning? I deleted a dumb game off my phone that I spent too much time on. I did. I did that this morning. And by the way, like one second is too much time to spend uh, on, that, on that game. It's a dumb game. So I, get, I, I want you to get that stuff off your phone. And, and if it's anything like I did three years ago when I deleted social media off my phone, um, you're probably not going to miss it. And you don't ever need to put it back on, which is just great. I would guess that the vast majority of you and all of us sitting here together need to change our phone habits or to ditch the phone by and large in our lives if we ever want to truly experience the holy rhythm of Jesus of Nazareth who poured himself out into the world that God his Father had given to him each day and then replenished himself in the presence of God the Father. Do you already know that app that needs to go off your phone, at least for this season? Some of you do already. I bet you do. You can do it right now, by the way. It won't offend me at all if you want to do that. It's a spiritual practice. I can't say no to that in a church. So if you feel like you want to do that right now before you forget, feel free. Um, And if you're one of those people here today where you're like, I already have awesome practices to make sure that the phone is not distracting me from God wants me to do or the rest that he wants me to have, we need to learn from you. Please teach us. Seriously, please teach us. Third, if you're not praying more, you're doing it wrong. And this probably means that you should fast. Um, 
as you move throughout Lent, giving these days over to God and practicing the holy rhythms of Jesus of Nazareth, this means that something should happen naturally for you. You should find yourself more prayerful. It should surprise you. Wow, I'm praying more. I'm more prayerful in my life. I don't mean to say that your, your prayers are going to become more beautifully worded or that your prayers are going to become longer and more involved. That's not what I'm saying. I mean that you should have already created the environment for prayer to happen more naturally. Tyler Staten, in his beautiful book on prayer entitled Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, um, he talks about prayer posture, and he says that the very best prayer posture is a life of fidelity to Jesus. That's the best prayer, prayer posture. If we're giving our days over to Jesus, point number one, if we're practicing the rhythms of Jesus and we're living in, that's point number two, then we're living in fidelity to Jesus and we're already in a great posture for prayer to happen. Prayer will begin to happen when we do that. You'll find yourself thinking on Jesus and talking to Jesus and thirsting for Jesus and feeling the presence of the Spirit. So if you're not praying more earnestly and, and more earnest uh, uh, throughout this season, you need to either go back to points number one and two, or you need to add some other practices to help you do that. The most common practice in Lent is fasting. Uh, for thousands of years, Christ followers have followed Jesus' model when he fasted in the wilderness, particularly in this Lenten season. Um, many brothers and sisters will begin a Lenten fast uh, on Wednesday, some from certain kinds of food like, like meat or sweets or alcohol, Others from like a meal a day or, or a, a day of eating in a week. Um, I'm not so interested in being uh, prescriptive in terms of what that looks like for you. We could talk about it more one-on-one. -on -one. But I do want to tell you that in my experience, even when I've created a good environment for prayer to happen in my life, it doesn't always lead to deep prayer. But fasting always leads me to deep prayer. Always. Always. It creates a hole where the food would be. And it leads to hunger. And instead of filling that hunger with food, we fill it with Jesus. And one kind of hunger reminds us of the kind of hunger that we should have all the time. But here's the thing about fasting. Um, it's often viewed as something that like, weakens us and breaks us down and, and makes us uh, 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 susceptible. Uh, but here's the deal. When I fast intentionally and prayerfully, it makes me more prayerful. And I feel, I feel awesome. I feel stronger. My will is stronger. My self-control is better. My desires are more centered on Jesus. I'm more trusting. I'm more dependent. I'm more content. I'm more joyful. I spent most of my life thinking that Jesus was particularly prone to temptation at the end of his 40 days in the wilderness because of the fasting. He hadn't had anything to eat or drink. Um, that he was at his weakest and most susceptible. And clearly that's what the tempter, the evil one, thought. That's when he comes to Jesus with these temptations. Um, but I'm beginning to wonder if I'm totally, completely wrong about that. Um, I think it's very possible that Jesus was his strongest at the end of those 40 days, right? If he'd been fasting for 40 days, do you think those temptations moved him all that much? He had been in the perfect environment for prayer and dependence and an unhurried life. He would, I think he was like basically Superman at the end of those 40 days. I really do. Satan didn't stand a chance, and he still doesn't stand a chance. So if you aren't deepening in prayer in this season, I do want to invite you to consider fasting and what that would look like. If you're new to fasting, um, I really encourage you to do it with somebody as a source of accountability so that you can 
not only that you can stick with it, but that you can make sure that it's focused on Jesus and not just like weight loss or maybe some OCD things. So this is what I want to encourage us in terms of our approach into the Lenten season. These three things. Unhurry, enter Jesus' rhythm, and deepen in prayer through fast. Um, I pray that this is helpful to you uh, this morning so that you don't feel like you're entering Lent with a set of bongos that you don't really know how to play and a set of songs that you are unfamiliar with. You've got a couple days until Ash Wednesday to make a plan, to ponder these things, to sit down with a journal and go, God, where am I at? Where am I at in my relationship with you? What do I need? What's your invitation to me? You've got a couple days to give these 40 days over to Jesus as a tithe to assess maybe what you're withholding from Jesus in work or in rest. You've got a few days to delete that app on your phone or accidentally drop your phone in a nearby river um, to consider what fasting might look like for you in this season. I just want to invite you, don't waste this opportunity. You need to be intentional or else you're not taking advantage of the blessing that this season has to offer you. So to close today, I just want you to take an honest assessment of where you are as you prepare for Lent. How would people describe the pace of your life? Are you tired? Are you aware of your limits? Are you hurting as you head into the season? Is there a sin that's in the front of your mind that needs to be brought before Jesus? Did somebody hurt you and it's eating you up inside and it's weighing you down? Have you been withholding from Jesus? Are you overwhelmed? Are you apathetic? Where are you right now? I invite you to just close your eyes where you are. I want you to just center in on a couple of words of where you are. If you would like to name that right now, out loud as a confession, you're welcome to shout it out for any brave souls. center in on a couple of words. How's your heart? Where are you right now? words in your mind in your heart I can't give you those words those are words that you have to ask Jesus to, to reveal to you those words in your heart I want you to envision with your eyes closed Jesus of Nazareth walking towards you approaching you I want you to imagine him coming before you and putting his hand gently upon your shoulder. And I want you to hear these words again today. Hear him say to you where you are right now, come to me. 
carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, I know it's heavy to admit where you are and maybe what you need in this season. It's heavy to talk about things like emptying ourselves and giving ourselves over and fasting. It's heavy to journey to the cross of Jesus. offer you Frederick Buchner's closing words on Lent when he says, quote, it can be pretty depressing business all in all, but if sackcloth and ashes are at the start of it, something like Easter may well be at hand. May it be so for each and every one of us. I invite the band to come forward. Would you pray with me? Lord, may we enter this season with you you give us the courage to give this season over to you out of the bounties of your grace to us, to be reminded that each day that we have is given by you. So we're simply returning these 40 days to you who knows how to live them better than we do. Would you teach us what it means to step into the holy rhythm of your son, Jesus of Nazareth? Would you lead us into deeper prayer through surrender to you and fasting. Most of all, Lord, may we hear your invitation in this season to follow you more deeply and to know your love and your grace and your goodness more fully.